0: Thank you, worship team. Acoustic night. FGC unplugged. They made me sit down with my nasty electric guitar. Well, we're in Hebrews. This is the book that proves that men are supposed to make the coffee at home. (laughs) Hebrews. Is that a dad joke? (laughs) Help me, Lord. (laughs) Hebrews 11, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Let's just thank God for the word tonight. Father, we thank you for being able to be here, for having our doors open, for being able to sit in your presence, to worship you. Father, we thank you for the word. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that our hearts and our minds have been prepared by worship to receive the word let us not be hearers only, but doers, Father. So Holy Spirit, teach us to apply what's being taught here. It's not, it's not just for rhetoric. It's not just for uh, religious purposes or a sense of duty to hear the word, but we're to live it, we're to breathe it, we're to, we're to bring it to the world. And so help us to not be hearers, but doers. So let Hebrews 11 come alive to us tonight. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts and through faith Though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We've covered all of that in great detail. I hope that those verses are coming alive to you tonight because we've, we've uh, just dug into them. Verse 7 says this, By faith Noah, being warned by God about the things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Let's stop right there. We're... Preaching through Hebrews chapter 11, it is the hall of fame of faith. Everyone who's mentioned here is here because they expressed great faith in a way that caught God's attention. And he put them all together in one spot to get us to see how faith is what God is looking for. We've slowed down to examine The lives of each of these people mentioned here if we want to please God and we want to express faith in a way that catches God's attention we need to look at these people who got here because you know some of them don't seem very extraordinary some of them are going to seem ordinary some seem bigger than life but it was their faith that got them into this chapter and we need to understand how and why so that we can be pleasing to God as well. Faith attracts God's attention. Faith catches God's eye. It impresses him. It pleases him. We looked at that verse last time together that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Amen. And we're going to talk a little bit in our recap about that. But realize what God is looking for is not a great performance or not superhuman uh, commitment or some outstanding ability. He is looking for faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. If you don't have faith, if I don't have faith, spiritually, we are dead broke. But if we have faith, even a little faith, even faith as a grain of mustard seed, we are rich in the kingdom of God. We looked at Abel, and unlike his brother Cain, he made an offering that cost him something, and God noticed it. He noticed Abel's heart, and he looked at that fi- that faith that he gave the offering with, and he counted it as righteousness for Abel. Remember, all the Old Testament saints are saved by faith looking forward to the cross. That's a Hebrews concept that we need to get. We looked at Enoch. Enoch walked with God. He was faithful to God. He lived a life that was pleasing to God. And God counted it as righteousness for him to the point where he did not allow him to taste death, but he took him right up into heaven. We talked about Elisha being the only other person who... God ever did that with, and the fact that they'll come back in the book of Revelation. Last week, uh, verse 6, we looked at faith, and without it, it is impossible to please God. If you didn't hear any of these messages, I encourage you to grab them online and get them in your spirit. This week, it's all about Noah. Noah's in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Everybody knows about Noah. Amen? So let's take a look at him. By faith being warned by God, verse 7 says, about the things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. There is so much in that verse. Let's try and uh, deconstruct it tonight and unpack it. Almost every person, Christian or not, knows about Noah and his ark. Do you realize that? it's a universal thing. I mean, it's a big thing. There's all, you know, animated stories about it, and there's knickknacks that you can buy, and you can buy the ark, and you can get the animals. Maybe some of you have that. I know some people collect that stuff. Don't look at me like I'm the weirdo. I didn't say I collected it. (laughs) But, you know, this Noah thing is big, and everybody knows about it, Christian or non-Christian. They know about Noah and his ark. And so it's a universal story. They know he gathered animals two by two. They know that the flood came upon the earth and how Noah survived it in that ark. And so it's a universal story, but to Christians, it's not just a story. In fact, there are some Christians who don't believe in Noah's ark. Yeah, there's a lot of them. And they don't believe in the Old Testament miracles, and they just think they're allegories or nice little stories. I believe 110% that this man built an ark, that God brought the animals, that two by two, and that, you know what, it happened exactly as the Bible says. There's fossil records, there's sediment records, there's, you know, uh, uh, there's accounts that they've seen images under the ice on Mount Arad. I can go into all that. I just want to tell you, I believe the word of God. It's not a happy, clappy little story for Sunday school. This is God's word. So, Noah is a universal story, and every person knows about him. Genesis six, in verse eight, through Genesis nine, verse twenty-nine, give us the account of Noah's life. Now, it gives us a lot of detail about Noah, and you know, from him hearing God tell him to build an ark. You know what a moment that must have been. Amen. Uh, to the to the time where, you know, he gets in it. So there's a lot of details given here. He builds this ark. He hears from God. He, he gets in. God seals it up. The animals are gathered two by two. You got all these animals in there. You think about what animals didn't make it into the ark that didn't survive the flood. Why did the mosquitoes get in? I just don't understand why that happened. But, you know there's an account of them being on the water and the water receding and sending out doves. There's a lot of detail here. We see that Noah survives the flood. He gets out of the ark, and then he gets into trouble with wine, and eventually, uh, you know, after propagating the earth again, him and his sons, he dies. And so if you compare what we get about Noah to the two tiny verses we get about Enoch, we know a lot about Noah. So I'm going to try and do Noah some justice here. Uh, Before we hit the highlights of these chapters in Genesis, I want to just, you know, we're, we're going to take a look at some basic details about him. We're going to look at the Genesis chapters, and then we're going to look at Hebrews 11 and get a real good overview of Noah. Here's some basic facts about Noah. Number one, Noah was the son of Lamech. He was the tenth generation descendant of Adam. so it took 10 generations of mankind for them to become so wicked that God had to wipe them all out categorically. Ten generations. Wow. Noah lived a total of 950 years. You say, why are these what are these Bible guys eating back then? what was? Did they have some skin cream we don't have? Many scientists and Bible scholars think that there was a firmament in the sky that was a a vapor barrier between the sun and us that slowed the aging process down. And part of the judgment on man was when the firmament was broken and the floods came, that vapor barrier of water was taken away, and now we age faster. Look, you can put all the oil of Olay on you want, but you're not going to live 950. And if you did, I I don't want to see you. Don't send a Christmas card. So... 950 years he lived. He lived 350 years after the flood. So he had a good run after the flood. And um, there there was time needed to, there again, propagate humanity. And him and his sons did that. And that's an interesting study all by itself. I guess we're all related. (laughs) Noah was a farmer and he had these three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They're important. Noah was the grandfather of Methuselah. Methuselah was the longest living man in the Bible, 969 years. So he outlived his, you know, granddaddy by uh, 19 years there. Uh, He had a good run at 950. It took Noah 100 years, 100 years plus to build the ark. 100 years. (laughs) Could you imagine being on the job for 100 years? Man, what is it? After like 20, you want a gold watch and a party, just let's you know, a hundred years. Now understand something, when this guy built the ark for a hundred years, what a work of faith that was. Because as, and he didn't have power tools, he didn't have, you know, this is hard, physical, manual labor for a hundred years. And every moment of it was an expression of this guy's faith. And every moment of it was an expression of this guy's Love and loyalty to God. And while he built it, they mocked him and they criticized him. And they called him a fool and he preached to that generation for 100 years and they mocked him and, and called him names and not one convert got into the ark in the final analysis. This guy is a case study in tenacity. And I, I think we, we think of Noah, a little chubby guy with a robe and you know the pictures of him. Man, this guy was a man. You don't take beams and you logs and and drag these and build this huge structure by hand. This guy had great faith, and he was a mighty man in the earth at that time. Now, uh, Noah and his family and all the animals spent more than a year in the ark. Think about that for a second. That's a faith walk all in itself, to stay in there. I mean, once you're in, you're in, but, you know, to trust God to get you through. A lot of us are going through stuff. A lot of us are confused. We don't know uh, about the time and the tide and what's coming. But, you know, we need to be like Noah and know once we're in, we're in. And we got to trust God, amen, because he never fails. So there are a few facts about Noah. There's more, but for our study tonight, that's a good start. Here are the highlights from Genesis and the account of Noah's life. I want us to look at Genesis 6, 7 through 9. Listen to this. Then the Lord said, I will wipe out mankind whom I have created from the face of the land, mankind and animals as well, and crawling things, and the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Wow. God is a merciful God. Get an amen? God is a patient God. He's kind. Anybody experience the kindness of God? Amen? I don't know about you, but I should have been whacked a lot of times. And he's given me grace and shown kindness to me. He's gracious. God is long-suffering. It's one of his attributes. He suffers long on behalf of man. God, why don't you come back now? Because he doesn't want any to perish. And so he's being patient so that the in-gathering can take place and that as few as possible would be lost. Now, selfishly, we want God to come back now because we're ready. Well, I'm I'm ready. I'm in. I made it. Woo, that was close. All right, God, you can come back now. That's selfish. And the long-suffering God allows him to be patient with mankind. Here's the thing I want to say to you. God is merciful, he's patient, he's kind, he's long-suffering. But for those who would test his long-suffering, please know that he's shown it has limits. And he had had it up to here with mankind in Noah's generation. And he had reached his limit. And, And look what he says here. You know what? The Lord said, I will wipe out mankind. That should take your breath away. It is a fearful thing for sinners to fall into the hands of an angry God. And a God that can just make a decision like that, boom, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe out mankind and, and the animals too and the crawling things and the birds of the sky for I am sorry that I have made them. Ouch. What a moment there. What a sad thing to hear God say that I'm sorry that I made man. How do you think God feels now with our generation as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming. You know, you know that, right? We are coming full circle here to the point where what it looked like then, it looks like now. And God's response was I'm sorry that I made man. He's gracious. He's patient. On, on this side of the cross, we have an amazing covenant that the, that the blood of Jesus, is, it's, a different, it's a different ball game. We're going to see Noah has the noadic covenant, and then it gives way to the Abrahamic covenant, and they're all better covenants, but the one we got now is off the charts. The grace is amazing. Amen. But God still has a threshold. His patience still has a threshold, and that should, that should sober us up and put the fear of God into us. I'm just going to cross the line and sin. He'll forgive me. Don't be so presumptuous. Jesus didn't throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple because he said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. And he was God. What an example. So there are three marks from Genesis 6, 8, and 9 that I want to take a look at here. We hear God say he's sorry that he made man in Genesis 6, 7. Uh, Enter Noah. He raises up one man to to be a remnant. Genesis 6, 8, and 9 says uh, this. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless in his generation, Noah walked with God. Check that out. Genesis 8, 9. Just write it down. You don't have to turn there. You can go back and examine these later, maybe meditate on them. But there's three marks Of Noah's life that we need to take a look at from Genesis 6, 8, and 9. The first is Noah caught God's attention. Remember we said faith catches God's attention. Well, this man Noah caught God's attention in the middle of a miserable generation of people. God finds one man. Wow. It says that he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That that should uh, be intriguing to us. How do we find favor in the eyes of the Lord? Do we ever entertain the possibility that there's things that I can do that really hurt the heart of God? There's things that I I do that grieve the Holy Spirit, yet there's things that I can do that please the heart of God, that catch His attention, that make Him smile. Think about that for a second. Your attitude, your behavior, your faith can make our Heavenly Father smile can please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The other side of the coin is, with faith, it's possible to please him. (laughs) I want to be pleasing to him. I want to put a smile on his face. I don't want him to look down and go, oh, Leonardo again. Oh, here we go. This guy, this one, I am sorry that I made, no. But Noah's faith caught God's attention. And if you look at him, he was a simple man with a right heart, with just simple faith and trust, and he trusted God to do things that didn't make sense to anybody else. You see his faith there, amen? In the midst of this generation that mocked him and refused his message and refused to repent, Noah had this faith, this right heart, this simple faith just to say, God, if you, if you say that's what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do it not just until you know, it produces fruit or you know, until I'm tired of it or until everybody listens to me. I'll do it for 100 years even if nobody does. You see that heart? That's what we got to get. God, I'll do what you told me to do. If it doesn't make me popular, if it doesn't make me money, if it doesn't make me friends, I don't care. I'm going to do it because you said it, because I have the faith to know that if you said it, it's going to produce a good harvest for me in the, in the long run. So that's how Noah caught the attention of God. It, it wasn't because of his, you know, his works or you know, that this guy was a super spiritual guy. It's just that he had a right heart and simple faith. You know, we can all do that, can't we? Have a right heart. Anybody seen pictures, heard stories, right? Have a right heart and simple faith. The second thing I want to pull out of Genesis 6 here is this. Noah lived an exemplary life in his generation. It says he was a righteous man, blameless. And let's just take a look at that. Righteous and blameless. Those are good things for God to say about us, amen, now, all of us know that we're not righteous and we're not blameless. If you're out there thinking, yeah, I'm going to work towards that, it's too late. Amen? Yeah. We've got a track record here. Uh, I'm not righteous. I need the righteousness of Christ to be my righteousness. Amen? We're talking about, you know, on Sunday, we're talking about the the breastplate of righteousness. And what is that? That's Jesus' righteousness covering us. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see Rick in all his flaws. He sees Jesus in all his perfection. And he says, I count that as righteousness for for you. So we're not righteous and we're not blameless, amen? (laughs) Not since birth. Probably in the womb I blew that one. We're not righteous, we're not blameless. My mom's testifying over there. That word blameless means complete, perfect, and having integrity. That's interesting, isn't it? That should be our goal, that should be our focus. To be complete in God, to be perfectly submitted to Him, and to have integrity. What does that mean? To to be the same when nobody's looking as when everybody's looking. To do the right thing just because it's right. Integrity, amen? Amen. And so Noah's life was exemplary. He caught God's attention and and it says that, you know, he was blameless. What in his generation, I want you to see that, not a perfect man, but compared to the heathens that were around him. Come on, get this. God's not looking for us to be perfect because we can't be perfect. What he's looking for us is to be so committed to him that we are out of step with our generation to the point that we're cut above so that we can point them to him. I mean, if the church is just as wicked as the world, why come to church? If the divorce rate in the church is the same as the world, why come to church? If the church is looking at pornography in the same degree that the world is, why come to church? We're supposed to be different. Ha. Now, are we going to be perfect? No, but we should be a couple cuts above, amen, because it'll differentiate us from the world so that they can see it's God that makes the difference in a person's life. So he lived this life. He was good in his generation. He stood out as a beacon of hope, and that's what we should do. Noah walked with God. That's that, that's a theme I want you to see here. Remember, Enoch also walked with God and then God took him. See, walking with God suggests an intimacy that you know, you, you've, you've communed with God and, and, and been close to God and gotten to know God enough that you can walk with him. What was God's heart in the garden? He wanted to walk with Adam and Eve and just fellowship with them. What destroyed all that? sin. What did Jesus do? Break the power of sin so that we can now have fellowship with the Father and commune with him. We need to walk with him again. Amen. Now, I know there's a whole bunch of distractions that distract you because there's a whole bunch that distract me. And if I don't get in the word and do my devotions right at the beginning of the day, sometimes the day gets away from us. Amen. But the most important thing we could do is just develop this pattern of communion until it produces intimacy, that we could walk with God. Noah walked with God. So did Enoch. Walking with God is the only way to create a deep faith and intimacy with God. There's no other substitute. We've got to walk with him if we're going to get to know him. If you and I said, okay, we're going to meet every day for a year and we're going to walk together in the morning, we're going to walk a couple miles and we're just going to, you know, we're just going to fellowship. By the end of that year, we'll get to know each other. We'll either be really connected or we won't want to walk together anymore. <laughs> Did you ever just connect with someone that you are knit together with and you commune with them and you're connected? And you, I got friends like that from Bible school that I, I, I don't see them for 10 years. I see them, it's like we never let off, knit together. That's what it needs to be with God, communion, fellowship, walking with him. There's no substitute for it. You say, well, well can I just know about God? Ain't going to cut it. Can you say, can I, can I just be a worker? Can I just work hard for God and do godly things? Ain't going to cut it. Can I just study facts about God and puff up my knowledge? Ain't gonna cut it. You see those three things I just shared with you? That's what the world does, and it it, it makes it religion, and it's devoid of intimacy, and it produces no relationship, and in the end, it produces no righteousness or salvation. Religion doesn't save people. Only relationship does. Genesis 9 shows us that, you know, Genesis 9 is interesting because it begins to show some of the flaws in this man. Now, we can puff him up and celebrate him, and he's worthy of that, too. He's in the Hall of Fame of Faith, but there's also flaws in Noah. The one man that God chose to spare out of the entire filthy, faithless, wicked generation was also a sinner. You're thinking, oh, darn, I just about had him on a pedestal, and now you did that. Don't we like to put people on pedestals? Oh, superhuman, you know, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all sinners. King David, big sinner. God said he's a man after my own heart. So there's hope for sinners. But check this out Noah wasn't perfect. And he was the one guy that was saved as a remnant out of that generation, but he was still a sinner. He had imperfections and he experienced moral failures. If you look at Genesis 9 20 through 29, you know, this is what we call, you know, uh, the wine incident. <laughs> so let me, let me just turn uh, to Genesis here Genesis 9 29 and read to you what I call the wine incident. Now, the Bible doesn't say thou shall not drink wine, but it does say that we should never be drunk. Keep that in mind. We don't make the Bible say what we want it to say. That's religion. The Bible says not to be drunk with wine. And in Genesis 9, if you see what happened, you know, I've been on the ark a year. I've been stuck with all these animals. I don't know if you know how it smelled in there but I have PTSD from it, and I'm going to plant me a vineyard, and I'm going to make me some wine. And when he does that, he he goes a little bit overboard. Uh, It says, Noah began farming and planted a vineyard in verse 20 of chapter 9 in Genesis. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent so here he is, the patriarch, the one guy God saves. He plants a vineyard, he, he, he grows grapes, he makes wine, he drinks too much of it. Now he's drunk and he's naked in his tent. Verse 22, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth, took a garment and laid it across their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew that the youngest son had done to him. So he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem and let Canaan, his servant, May, and let Canaan be his servant. Verse 27, May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Noah lived 350 years after the flood, so all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. So the Bible chronicles the wine incident, the fallout from it, and the fact that that's the end of the journey here, and he, he goes on to be... Uh, with the Lord. So here's the problem with putting anyone on a pedestal. We're all made of clay, and even the one guy out of a generation God can save is still a sinner. Noah planted the grapes, he made the wine, he drank too much, and he uncovered himself. Now, you say, well, you know, he he went over, he's naked in his tent, what's the big deal? For the patriarch to behave in that way was shameful. Now, one son was kind of giddy about it, and he uncovered his father's sin. The other two sons were not giddy about it, but they covered their father. Two of them were blessed, and one of them was cursed. Do you see the fruit of sinful behavior? It never happens in a vacuum. It happens in a way that there's a ripple effect. When you and I sin, it just is, oh, well, you know, that's just me, and I ask God to forgive me and stuff. Listen to me. The wages of sin are death. And when we, we choose to sin, there's a ripple effect. The ripple effect tore through this family. One of the sons is cursed. His descendants are still under that curse today. If you study what the, what the Canaanites had become, where, where do you think all this trouble in the Middle East comes from? It comes from this, and it comes from Abraham, when he, he decided not to wait for God. And you can trace all this back to man's sinful decisions. So even the best of what God had to extract from that generation was still flawed, and those flaws produced sin that had a ripple effect through the family. Ham is cursed. The other two boys are affirmed. Uh, It's a family fracture that never heals, and it's because we're imperfect people, and we do imperfect things, and we sin. And understand that just because we sin or we mess up or, you know, we have failures, or we don't do what we should do, or we let other people down, doesn't disqualify God from using us. You think, God, man, you, man, Noah, he, he let you down. God knew what Noah was going to do before he put him in the ark. God didn't get blindsided by the fact that this guy, you know, that he looks at and say, oh, man, he's a standout in his generation. He knew he was still made of clay. Sometimes, you know what, sometimes I think we have to be humbled by sin because we think many times that we're above it oh we're christians we know the word we come to church twice a week those are the sinners out there no we're sinners too the only difference is we are saved by grace in a relationship with jesus christ <laughs> so we're redeemed amen but still sin we will struggle with in some ways till the day we fall into Jesus's arms now Hebrews 11 is our text and we uh, had a few verses there going all the way from Genesis back to Hebrews it says this in Hebrews 7 and I'll close down with this you're having fun you look like you're having fun all right Hebrews 11 7 is the synopsis of Noah's faith here it's kind of You know, there was much more in Genesis you can study and look at, but I hit a few highlights there to bring out a few points. Verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. There's four things I want to pull out of that verse, and the first one is this. Faith means believing in unseen things. Look what it says here, warning by God about things not yet seen. It wasn't raining. There wasn't a flood. In fact, most people will tell you that probably at that time, the water didn't come from the sky like it does now. It just came up from the earth. And, and, and the, you know, Scripture suggests some of that, that it was just like a misting. So when God says it's going to rain, Noah's like, it's going to what? And I want you to build an ark, A, a what? And it's going gonna, it's gonna to rain so bad, it's going to flood the entire earth. Say, what? This is like science fiction to this guy. Why? Because it, it wasn't something God wanted him to wrap his mind around. It was something he just wanted him to do in obedience because of faith. So he had to believe for unseen things, things that he never saw before, things that he couldn't even comprehend, about things not yet seen. If we have it in our hands, we don't need faith to get it. Well, you know, I have faith that God's going to pay it. Well, you, you, you got the money in the bank, or you, you work for the week, you got to pay You know, there's a lot of things that we just have that we don't need faith for anymore especially in the West here, it's hard for us to walk by faith because we have an abundance of everything we need. You know, when the toilet paper starts running out, then we're using our faith. Quoted the Charmin in Jesus' name. But if you got it in your hand, you don't need faith. And so God wants us to believe him for things that uh, uh, we don't yet have things that we don't see, things that we don't understand. Listen to Romans four sixteen through 18. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be a, accordance to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, talking about the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of him who believed God. Listen, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were who contrary to hope, in hope, believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Calling those things which be not as though they were. That's what God does. He says things before they exist, and he asks us with faith to believe God for what we can't see and we don't yet have. Amen? That's the nature of faith. Second thing I want to bring out of this text here. It says, in reverence, he prepared an ark. Believing God and having faith in God shows our respect for him. Well, I don't know what an ark is. How do I build one? I'm going to show you. I don't know what a flood is. I've never seen one. You're going to see one. All of these things that, you know, had never been, uh, calling those things which be not as though they were, because by faith we receive them and we listen to God, and that shows our reverence for him. Why did Noah preach for 100 years and build for 100 years? Because he had reverence for God. He respected God, and he knew he heard his voice, and so that was enough for him. What a tremendous demonstration of faith, one we should all learn to express. Not that we have it in our hand, not that we can wrap our minds around it, not that, you know, we have the blueprints or someone, you know, talked us through it, but just because God said it, I believe it. How many things in here that God said that we're going to just do? Well, nobody's doing it, Lord, or the world's not doing it, or half of the churches aren't doing it, but God said it. Are we going to believe what's in here and just do what he said? Come on, Wednesday night, shout a little bit. I know it's not Sunday. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to do it. I can't see how it's going to happen, but I'm going to do it. I'm positive I'm not qualified to do it, uh, but I'm going to do it. But if God said it, I believe it. That settles it, and that's faith. So it's reverence, and he says he, 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 in reverence he prepared the ark. <laughs> God looked at his faith, and he, he was like, you know, look at this Look at this guy down here. He, he took me at my word. Do you know how much that thrills the father heart of God? We're always like, why? How come? What if? And what about? How about if he says it, just believe it. Just do it. Amen? I don't know. Anybody have kids? Number three, third thing I want to bring out of this text is this. Faith brings... With it, both personal and household salvation. Noah became an heir of righteousness. What does that mean? He was saved. God looked at his faith, he counted it as righteousness for him, and he saved him. And the fruit of him being saved was that his whole household was saved. Look what it says here. For the salvation of his household, his faith produced the fruit of household salvation. So listen to me, not only does faith affect us, remember I talked about the ripple effect, but it affects those in our household. And if you got people in your house that aren't serving God and don't believe and are not living right, listen, you stand on the word of God and you claim household salvation for your house, and you pray and you fast and you dig in and you resist the devil and you don't quit until you see them get saved. And you say, "Well, I don't want. I don't want to. It sounds like too much work." Well, then you get what you believe for. But I'm believing me and my whole house are going to be saved and in heaven together. Amen. Number four, the last thing I want to cover from Hebrews 11:7 is that righteousness is always the byproduct of faith. No matter what covenant, noahic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, doesn't matter what covenant they were in, if they were saved in the Old Testament, it was looking forward to the cross and it was counted as faith for them. It was righteousness that God said, yeah, I'm going to let you look forward and believe and, and you'll be saved. F- faith saved in the Old Testament, faith saves in the New Testament. Anyone who winds up in heaven got there by faith. Not by works, not by, you know, not by performance. Oh, we let this guy in because he was really good. I mean, never knew Jesus, but what a preacher. Righteousness is always the byproduct of faith. An heir of the righteousness, look at how the verse ends, which is according to faith, amen, amen. There is only ever one type of righteousness available to us that will satisfy the heart of the Father. There is only one righteousness available to us that will satisfy the demand of the law. Do you know the Bible says that the wages of sin are death. I'm a sinner. I've got to die. If I don't die, somebody else has to pay the price for me. Amen? And it's only by faith that I can receive Jesus' finished work on the cross. (laughs) Ha! It had to be faith for them to look forward. It has to be faith for us to look back towards the cross and say, 2,000 years ago, I believe that man died in my place and that my righteousness comes from him. And so I believe him and that God raised him from the dead. And because of that, I'm saved. And my name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. And when my heart stops, I'm going to be with God. I know you heard all that before, but we need to hear it again. (laughs) You need to get excited about it. Man, the world's going to hell on a bobsled, but I'm going to heaven, amen? <laughs> Bobsleds are fast. <laughs> All right, got it. Faith in Jesus saves. It's the only righteousness available to us. It's the only righteousness that was ever available to mankind. Nobody in the Old Testament made it without faith. The law and the legalistic keeping of the law system did not produce anything but the knowledge of sin so that we could know we need a Savior. Hebrews eleven seven 7, Noah's faith. Many components of it. An amazing man who did an amazing work, yet not a perfect man. And that should give all of us hope because we're all imperfect, but God could do amazing things with us if we'll just allow ourselves to release faith and not mess up with having to involve our minds or involve our emotions, but just to say, God, you said it. I believe it, that settles it. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you for us being able to be here together tonight. I thank you for the word. I thank you just for the beautiful presence of the Holy Spirit that's here tonight. We just ask, Lord God, that you would increase our faith, that you would give us boldness, that we would believe for things that we don't see or we don't understand, that we would allow you to call those things which be not as though they were and say, you said it, I accept it, God, I believe it. And to be as faithful and as diligent as Noah for a 100 years, he built and he preached, he built and he preached, he built and he preached till the day that the rains came. You saved him and you preserved him. Even in his imperfections, you allowed the faith that he displayed to put him in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of fame of faith. We thank you for his life and his example. Let it provoke us to godliness, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight.